0: Hello everyone. Welcome to ADE Spotlight Podcast. As you are aware, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I thought it would be worthwhile to uh, focus this episode of the Spotlight Podcast on breast cancer. I'm joined today by a woman named Sharon, who is brave enough to come forward and talk about her experience having been diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I also want to mention that on our ADE.Solutions webpage, we have posted a new quiz about uh, breast cancer. Uh, If you'll go to that page and take that quiz, I'm sure uh, you'll learn a few things as well. Uh, Enjoy the conversation, and as always, if you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to let us know. Sharon, I want to thank you for being willing to be part of ADE Spotlight podcast. As you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I thought it would be very helpful to have somebody who has gone through the the process to talk about uh, what it was like for them, what it was like for their family, what they learned along the way, and uh, how they're moving through their life today, what changes they've made in their life or how it impacts their life. Currently, So, again, I, w- I want to thank you uh, for doing this. Uh, first of all, why don't you uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, well, my name is Sharon, I am married, I've been married for um, 32 years, I have two children, I work at the University of Michigan, and I really enjoy my job. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer three years ago, and that started that journey.
0: Well, let, let's go... Let's go back just a little bit before the diagnosis. What made you suspect there might be an issue? Or uh, wasn't, was it not a case of that? Was it just a case of maybe a routine exam uh, showed that there might be something and maybe something you weren't aware of? Or were you suspicious prior to your diagnosis there, that there may have been uh, some sort of issue?
1: No, I was not suspicious at all. Um, it was found during um, a routine mammogram that I've been having those since I turned 40. And this one discovered an issue.
0: So how does that work? You, you go for a routine mammogram and then you go about your day and you go back to work at the University of Michigan. And what happens? You get you get a phone call from,
1: from yes. your doctor? Yeah, a couple of days later you get a phone call saying we need to repeat the mammogram because there are areas that we are not clear. Then they schedule that appointment You go back for your next diagnostic. They call this one a diagnostic mammogram. It's a little more in-depth than the basic mammogram.
0: What was the time frame between that phone call from your doctor and then the diagnostic mammogram? Ten days. What were those ten days like?
1: It was a little scary because that was the first time I had ever been called back to repeat a mammogram. Um, which is and getting called back is not all that unusual, but this was the first time for me. Um, so it was a little scary. It was a little, I tried to push it out of my mind as much as I could because I didn't want to go to any dark places. I was pretty successful in that for the most part.
0: So you say that it's not unusual to be called back for a diagnostic mammogram?
1: Right. Because, because If people, if women have dense breasts, sometimes the mammograms are not clear enough, so they have to do the diagnostic mammogram just so they can get a clearer picture.
0: Okay, so you had the diagnostic mammogram, and then how long did you have to wait for the results of that?
1: Um, They told me that day. I was still in, I had the diagnostic mammogram at the cancer center here at U of M, I was still in the waiting room when they told me they were there were suspicion in a couple of areas that they wanted to do a biopsy. They scheduled the biopsy for eleven days later.
0: So you have the diagnostic mammogram, and they say there are problems, and we want to do a biopsy. Come back in eleven days. So, what do you recall? What that was like walking out of the office that day?
1: Um, I was very shaken. I do remember sitting in the car thinking, oh great, now what am I going to do? I called David right away and we talked about it a little bit. And then I came back to work because I thought the best thing to do would be to kind of push it away a little bit so that I could get my work done and focus, not, you know, again, not go to dark places. I was really very conscious to keep pushing it out of my mind for a little while so i did talk to a couple of people that i knew coworkers who had had breast cancer just to kind of get a feel um i didn't want to keep it totally to myself but i didn't want to blab it to people it was more of just you know get a couple answers what are the chances you know etc so that 11 days was it was a long 11 days but it was um I tried to keep it as normal as
0: possible. Then then you go for a biopsy.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, again, how long did you have to wait for the results of the biopsy? Two days. Two days. So uh, okay. when they call you back, they say, we have the results of the biopsy. What's that process like?
1: Okay, so... The, so, on the third day after the two days, I got a phone call at work and they said, they told me who they were, the breast cancer center. Um, did I have a few minutes to chat? Um, so, they told me then that they suspected cancer, um, they found some suspicious cells, and they wanted to schedule um, a surgical biopsy. And so, I said, okay, um, let's schedule it. But then, you know, I started, they said, if you have questions, call us back. They kept saying, you know, feel free to call back if you have questions on this. Call back if you have questions on this. Um, So they scheduled, first we scheduled a visit with the surgeon so that he could talk to me about what he might do in the surgical biopsy. And then we scheduled the surgery.
0: And what kind of time frame was that?
1: Okay, so the office visit with the surgeon was about three weeks after the core biopsy. The surgical biopsy was scheduled for another three weeks after that when they had a room available when it fit in the surgeon's schedule. Um, so that, you know... I was able to plan time for off work, et cetera. I just needed two days off work after the surgical biopsy. That's not extremely invasive.
0: But you had a six-week period where you had to wait for that.
1: Yeah.
0: That had to be excruciating in some
1: ways. It was. Um, But again, you have to make a conscious effort not to go to a dark place. Um, you have to make a conscious effort to say, okay, when I'm done with this, always focus on when I'm done with this, then I can go back to this. Um, it was, It was. I, I have, for the most part, a real optimistic view of life. I'm going to get through what I have to get through. Um, David was pretty supportive. He couldn't understand, what I was feeling, but he was listening to me. Um, he was supportive on any decisions I made. Um, he accompanied me to almost all the, uh, yeah, all the appointments up until, in, and including the surgical biopsy. He was there for all of the appointments with me, except that first mammogram, obviously. But
0: so, so you have the the surgical biopsy, and. Yep. Uh, again how long until you had results from that the next day the next day okay so that was yeah. immediate and and how right. did that how did that go
1: then they called me back and said they were were confirming that i did have dcis
0: Tell me, which it, is the
1: least invasive type of breast cancer it's in your ducts only it, and they it, yeah,
0: so okay go ahead. Um, That's a good point. So DCIS...
1: Right. Ductal carcinoma in situ. Okay. Which literally means in my duct, as opposed to in the breast tissue.
0: Here's a question that that comes out of my own ignorance. How many types are there?
1: Well, there's DCIS and then there's breast cancer. And the the breast cancer... I don't know what they call the other breast cancer, but that's the one that's in your breast tissue itself, not the duct.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think we'll come back to that when we talk about treatment. But Okay. So so the next day they they confirmed that you have DCIS. Yes. And, and was this done, did they call you back in the office or did they call you on the phone?
1: They called me on the phone and they said that they were confirming this, the suspected plan of treatment, and they had to confirm that with a surgeon yet, but still would be to get another diagnostic mammogram with a wire needle biopsy so they could figure out exactly where they had to do the lumpectomy. And then they scheduled the lumpectomy for October 1st.
0: So there's a, you're just trying to establish sort of the diagnostic process. There's a lot of steps to go through that Uh, Yeah, there is. An initial mammogram, the diagnostic mammogram, a biopsy, a surgical biopsy, followed by another diagnostic mammogram.
1: Yeah, to make sure that they are getting doing the lumpectomy in the right spot. Because they they don't want to take too much tissue, but they want to make sure to take enough. Um, Through all of this, you have, um, through the last two appointments... I had weekly phone calls with a nurse at the cancer center saying, "Okay, this is what we're going to do next. Can I answer any questions for you? Um, They were really, really extremely helpful, extremely polite. They didn't find any of my questions stupid. (laughs) Um, They would laugh with me, kind of joke a little bit when it was appropriate to make me feel a little bit more at ease. they talked about, they're the ones that, that gave you the initial information on some of the treatments that are available, what my options might be based on this final diagnosis, um, so that I could start thinking about the questions I wanted to ask the doctor after the lumpectomy when I met with him about what my next steps would be.
0: If I'm following this time frame, it it, you know, just looks like it was two to three months that you went through this process.
1: Well, the first mammogram was on June 26th. The surgery was on October 1st. I ended my radiation treatment on December 16th. Boy. So I had like, you know, five months.
0: But there was, I guess I'm...
1: There was breaks in it, but there were...
0: I guess my my question is that, that from June to... October of, of really not knowing, right? And, and, and carrying that, how, how difficult was that to carry that? That not knowing.
1: It's it it's very difficult. Um, you have to make, as I said, a conscious effort to push the negative thoughts out. Um, to to kind of live your night life as normal as you can. Until you find out you have to do something different. Hmm. It's a hard It's a hard thing to do. It's a conscious effort. Now, I, I know I keep saying that, but it really, really is.
0: Now that you've been through it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what would you tell somebody who's in the middle of that now?
1: Um, talk to people. Call your the nurses at wherever this is and ask them all your questions. Don't, do not, do not, do not look at things on the, you know, like WebMD. First of all, it's very um, scary. It's not necessarily the normal um, way things progress. And it's so medically, you know, medical terms that you just can't understand. Talk to people who've been through it and talk to the nurses at wherever you're getting your treatment. They are going to give you the best information, the most understandable information, as well as compassion.
0: Where, where Sharon, along in this process, did you tell your children?
1: Um, I told them after the, uh, after the first biopsy that it was suspected
0: what was that conversation like?
1: Um, it actually went okay. They were old enough at that point to know a lot of information, um, that, you know, and that treatments were good and outcomes were really good and all that. So it it went fairly well. Um, we did talk about what kind of help I might need from them if things got, were bad. And, um, but we made the conversation. It it turned out okay. They had good questions. Um, They kind of tried to take care of me for a little while instead of the other way around. And I wouldn't let that happen. I couldn't let that happen. That wasn't their job.
0: I'm going to assume that uh, through this whole process, you were doing research of your own. Uh, In addition to talking to the nurses at the cancer care center i I would imagine you were uh, doing some research on your own or talking to other people who've been through this experience what did you learn that you didn't know prior to
1: this um I, i i guess i didn't know how many different treatments there were treatment options i thought it was radiation and chemotherapy no matter what um, but there's a lot of different things. There's different combinations. there's um, and it depend all depends on each individual person. They can treat breast cancer as well as other cancers with hormonal therapy, maybe. It doesn't have to be chemo. It doesn't have to be um, a full mastectomy. you get you get your options. and they everybody I talked to was very. Informative it gave me lots of you know what these are all of your options what kind of questions do you have so then i would ask the questions you know for me what does it look like based on the fact that i had cancer before what does that look like should i make a different option etc um
0: if it I, i'm wondering was there a part of you that said what caused this was there something that i did that caused this, something in my lifestyle that caused this, or uh, something in my family history that may have contributed to this? Did did you have those kind of questions as well?
1: Um, I did, but, and I also tried to get genetic testing, um, but I didn't meet, you know, they have certain criteria for certain things, so I didn't meet the right criteria to get the genetic testing. So I don't know if it's something in my history, um, in my family history. I was aware of just my sister having breast cancer, but I had other relatives with cancer in in their lifetimes. So I think that I just, I don't know, that's a hard question because I don't remember what I thought about that
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah sorry
0: no that's okay i just i'm just curious if if um there's if folks have this feeling of you know maybe I caused this in some way um i think uh, for example, if someone was uh a heavy, a heavy smoker for example and then maybe ended up with lung cancer, I think they're sort of a there might be sort of a cause and effect link there but Um, uh, but uh, you know, if, if I'm not doing something, uh, sort of that obvious in my life, uh, I I might be wondering why me, what have I done? Is it something in the way that I live my life that caused this? Um, but, uh, but let's talk about, I don't
1: remember going there, um, for that, to be honest.
0: Okay. So you have a, now you have a confirmation. They say, okay, Sharon, uh, we, uh, we are confirming this diagnosis of DCIS. Right. And I would imagine based on a combination of factors like, you know, your 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 age and your general health, they present you with a, a series of options for, for treatment, or did they say, uh, did they not give you any option? They said, this is the way we're going to treat this.
1: No, they said that, you know, there are so... Certain, the, these are the treatment options available. In your case, since it was, it, first of all, diagnosed very early, they figured that a lumpectomy and radiation would be the safest, easiest, less invasive for me. I had the option to go and get um, a mastectomy if I wanted. But they talked about you know what they thought would be best for me. So I went with the lumpectomy. I chose to go that route.
0: So they gave you these options, but it, it sounds like they sort of steered you toward one over the other.
1: Yeah, kind of, because they thought that that would be the best option for me, less invasive. Okay. Less recovery time as far as, you know, losing as opposed to losing my whole breath. So
0: for, so they say to you, and you agree, that we're going to do a lumpectomy and radiation, a course of radiation. Yep. Um, but none of that comes uh, without any risk. So what, uh, they, they lay that out to you and what are the risks associated with that decision?
1: Okay, so with the lumpectomy as there, it could be that they don't get the whole, all the cancer out. It, with the radiation, it could cause damage to my heart, to my bones to just the whole general area of my body. But they talk about all that, and they they, talk, they do some testing. Um, so after the lumpectomy, after I had healed up a little bit so I could stand the pressure, I went for another diagnostic mammogram to make sure that they got all that the cancer that they could see. All the borders looked clean. There didn't look to be any other spots of issue. If, and then we started radiation.
0: Well, now, uh, I, I the lumpectomy seems sort of, uh, no pun intended here, but sort of cut and dried. I mean, it, I think it the name sort of describes... They go
1: what, in, scoop it out, sew you up. Right. The incision is probably like an inch or so, about that, in my case. It, um, they got the tissue all over... The, the duct area and the tissue around it,
0: but uh, you know radiation seems less so. I mean, I I, I I get, I suppose the concept of what radiation is, but but now I imagine Sharon, you're you're sitting there saying we're going to do radiation, and. You're think, thinking, what is that? How do exactly they? Exactly does that mean? How do they do that? What <laughs> what, what does it hurt? Does it? Th- those. What are the kinds of questions about? You know, you know, it, it's easy to talk. It's easy to understand the concept of radiation as part of treatment, but here you are. Now you're sitting across the desk from the doctor who's saying we're going to do radiation. Now it becomes a very real thing. I would imagine there would be some real questions about what exactly that entails is that is that is that a fair statement
1: yeah yeah and it is pretty intense the first the very first appointment you meet with a radiation oncologist um they outline everything that they're going to do they're going they're going they tell you where they're going to point the lasers how long each treatment is going to last for you they do an MRI to see the location of where, in my case, it mattered where my heart was located related to where they wanted to direct the radiation because they didn't want to cause any damage to my heart, which meant that during my radiation treatments, I also had to be have follow a specific breathing pattern. My heart was too close, they felt, to where they wanted to radiate. So I had a, a breathing apparatus and a special breathing pattern to do during my radiation. Um, when you go for that appointment, they also, that's the appointment where they um, lay you out on the table and mark your body up with where they want to direct the lasers. So when you get on that radiation table every morning, they know where, exactly where to direct. I got three extra tattoos that day, so they know exactly where they were directing the lights okay. and the focus of the radiation treatment.
0: Um, how long of a period of time were you getting radiation treatments?
1: Thirty treatments over 30
0: days. So every day over, for thirty. So days? it was
1: like five. It was like five and a half weeks. They didn't. They did it Monday through Friday, um, but not the Thursday and Friday of Thanksgiving, because based on my timing. So it was like five and a half weeks. No, I guess it was six and a half weeks. Um, It's Monday through Friday. And the first couple of appointments took a little longer as the radiation team got used to me and where I would sit on the table best and that kind of stuff. That was your get-to-know-you kind of little bit of thing. Um, I had the same radiation team throughout for like 95% of my actual treatments so we got to know each other by the end of it we were joking um, that kind of stuff it, it helps to have the same team
0: how long were you how, how long were you there every day
1: um, total about a half hour and that's getting checking in, getting undressed going to the waiting room getting the treatment going back to get dressed And leaving Um, they set this up so I didn't have to go to the waiting room the big main waiting room inside the camp the radiation center every day I would go log into a computer go to the changing room change clothes go to the small waiting room for the actual treatment grab one of their nice warm blankets out of the oven which was so nice and wait there for a few minutes until they would call me back for the actual treatment itself.
0: You mentioned um, at the beginning that you work at the University of Michigan, uh, yes. and, and I assume that all of this was also done at the University of Michigan.
1: Yes.
0: And you know you you're fortunate. You know you're in a world class university. Uh, town, world-class university system world-class university hospital system uh, i think right. that i'm sure that wasn't lost on you uh, no, how, how fortunate you were to be involved in 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 that i, I think uh, i think it's fair to say that not everybody who goes through this has that certainly that same advantage but no,
1: that's i'm sure that's true
0: but regardless getting back to the radiation though so essentially monday through friday for a, a period of of a month and a half or so. Let me, ask, let me ask the simple question. Did it hurt?
1: At the beginning, no. At the end, yes. Because radiation kind of will burn your skin. Um, one of the pieces of advice I have been given, and I tell this to everybody I come across who's going to be going through the same thing, is after your first treatment, start putting on some cream, the thicker, the better on your breast. You won't feel anything. You won't feel anything in your breast for probably three weeks, but get that cream going, get it on. So I used Aquaphor after every treatment. Um, And by the end, I was able to continue my treatments without a break. There was one of the women that I would run into in the waiting room periodically, ended up taking a break from hers because her skin was too painful. Um, it's, like, it's like an extremely bad sunburn at the end. I couldn't wear a bra. I had to find the softest camisole I could find because it was uncomfortable. But I was able to continue the treatment. I didn't end up with any open sores like some women do.
0: Other than, than the soreness... What were the side effects that you experienced? Did it uh, side effect, Did it make you sick? Did it make you tired? Did it affect your appetite? No. All, all
1: that kind of... No. I, I, I did feel a little bit tired, but I think that was partly stress and partly the fact that I had my appointments at 7 o'clock in the morning that I'd come to work and work all day. Um, I came to work... Because I wanted to, I wanted the separation of thinking about things, I wanted it to be normal. I was given the opportunity to take the time off if I wanted to or adjust my work schedule. I was lucky in that respect. Um, but mostly, I think I was tired from the stress. There wasn't any other, I didn't have any upset stomach, I didn't have any, you know, any other side effects. It was just the actual stress of going every
0: single day. Were you, uh, did the medical staff put any limits on you during this time period? Did they Did they restrict your diet or your activities no. or tell you to no. not drink alcohol? or and, and nothing like that. You just, you could continue on the life that you, the way you were living it outside of the fact that you had to go for these uh, roughly half hour radiation treatments every Right.
1: Day. Correct. That's true.
0: You mentioned... Go ahead. Oh, you mentioned that uh, along the way there, you met other women going through the same thing. Is it fair to say that that, uh, some of the women that you met either had a different diagnosis than you or were going through a different course of treatment than you?
1: Um, Probably, yes. We didn't talk a whole lot about specific diagnoses, but some of the women were doing radiation before their surgery. Because they had a more invasive type, they were trying to reduce, make the tumor smaller, and then they knew they would need surgery, and then chemo, where all I was doing was just radiation after a lumpectomy. So I, you know, I felt like, boy, I'm really lucky, but then I felt guilty that I was. uncomfortable and felt bad, but these women were going through so much more than me. Um, you know, I was getting like the easy, easy side and there was, there was quite a bit of guilt with that. Um,
0: that's, that's very interesting. I, 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 I guess I'm not surprised to hear that. I can, I can imagine a scenario where, where that could happen. Uh, but it's it's still that's it's a little bit surprising. But let me let me ask you this: uh, you mentioned chemo, and I understand you did not have to have chemo. That's right. I guess the simple question: why not? What what what? Under what circumstances might somebody have to have chemo, either in addition to or instead of radiation? What what is what what's the difference there?
1: The type of cancer and where it's located is totally my understanding. Mine was very small, very early stage, and in the duct. If it was in the tissue, or if it was more invasive, um, or more aggressive, then I probably would have had to do a different treatment, up to and including a mastectomy and or, radi- and or chemo.
0: You mentioned, uh, a few times you've mentioned David, uh, that's your husband. And uh, so you were going through six, six and a half weeks of, of, of this every day mm-hmm. and uh, and and having the effects of that and being tired and, and, and worried and all of that. What was it? I know you can't speak for him, but what do you think it was like for him?
1: Um, he was, I think, he was a little scared. Was this really going to work for me? Was I going to be able to still live the rest of my life with him um he kind of embraces the scar thinking oh it's a life-saving thing it's you know I find it ugly he finds it to be like a life-saving thing um he's got a different outlook on it he wanted to take care of me as much as he could as much as I would let him because I'm not very good at that um so he he took care of me. He did little things. Um, he took care of dinner a lot of the nights just because I was tired. He brought flowers home once or twice just kind of to cheer me up a little bit and to help, you know. He did not come to the radiation appointments. First of all, he couldn't have come back to the waiting room with me. Second of all, it would just cause even more stress on me. Um, but he would call me after every one of them to see how it went.
0: Did he? So uh,
1: he supported me in different ways.
0: Yeah. Did he talk to people, Do you know, about I, his, what he was going to? I through? don't
1: know. I don't know. Yeah. We never really talked about that. I mean, yeah. I asked him, I said, do you have questions for me? Do you, you know, whatever. Um, but we never, I don't know if he did or not. I'm thinking knowing him, he probably didn't. So
0: you go through uh, six and a half weeks of roughly of this radiation treatment and and you are done with that course of radiation. What happens next?
1: Okay, so what might sound kind of hokey, and it did to me until I experienced it, on the last day of radiation after your treatment, you get to ring the bell that's right outside the dressing room. And I thought, oh, okay, big deal. It's a big deal. I started, and I'm going to do it again, I started crying. It was so emotional to bring that bell, to have that team clap for me when I was done with my treatment. It was amazing. Um, so then the de- after that, it was a month after the radiation, I followed up with the radiation oncologist who told me that for the next two years I would have mammograms every six months and they wanted me on tamoxifen for five years. Um, Now that I've passed the two years with no issues in the mammogram, I can go back to once a year on my regular mammogram. Though I tell you, I do get really, really, really nervous until I get that call that, yeah, things are okay. Much more nervous about my mammograms now.
0: You um, are still taking... Medication. Tamoxifen, yes. Is that? It, it, uh, tell me about that. I don't know what that is. That is that a, a, a drug that that is thought to prevent cancer?
1: It's it's uh, what they call it as a chemo preventative, um, and it me it's yeah it's to prevent a recurrence. It'll reduce my chances of a recurrence by fifty percent, which to me was worth it.
0: Oh, there interesting. Are side
1: effects? I mean, hot flashes for tamoxifen are horrid. But to reduce my chances of having to do this again, because if I did get cancer in the same breast again, they couldn't do radiation. You can't radiate a breast twice. That would be definitely a mastectomy and possibly chemotherapy. I want to avoid that if I can.
0: Did Did anybody give you... Uh, sort of a prognosis that that says you have X percentage chance of reoccurrence?
1: Um, They wouldn't say that much. But I have, you know, my five-year survival rate is above 95%. That's all they would say. And that's pretty damn good.
0: Meaning if it doesn't reoccur within five years.
1: Then I'm pretty good
0: done. 95% chance it won't reoccur. Yes. And you are about... What'd you say, two? I'm at three years. You're at three years.
1: Yep, this month is three years since the surgery.
0: Okay. Um, what now? We, um, you had mentioned um, that you're taking this medication, and and but yep. well, you're back now to to yearly mammograms. Yep. What? What? Um, what? Do you tell your daughter?
1: Um, to get her to let her doctor know that I had breast cancer and follow the doctor's advice on when to start getting mammograms for her?:
0: Although to be you have f-
1: to, you have, to re, have to rely on the doctors to know the best that they can, but she will be starting mammograms probably at 35 as opposed to 40. Because to, I had the breast cancer and because Linda had the
0: breast cancer. And Linda is your sister?
1: Yes, so her aunt.
0: And to be fair, though, um, you know, we're talking about your daughter and sister. It, it, this yep. uh, We know, I mean, our research tells us that, that breast cancer is not limited to females. Correct. Um, so it's important for all of, all of the males in the family to know that there may be a family history of breast cancer as well, which... I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that either. But let's talk about today. So you're, so you're three years, uh, post radiation, mm-hmm. uh, all the signs look good. You're taking a, a medication. Uh, have you changed any there, have you changed your lifestyle at all?
1: Um, a little bit. Um, I'm trying to make the majority of my meals healthier not always succeeding. I am trying to get a little bit more exercise. I should do a lot more. Um so yeah, I've made some changes. Nothing monumental.
0: And I don't I don't want to be dramatic here and I and I and I I'm probably maybe asking a question you can't even answer. But and and I'm sure this varies from person to person, but you went through a period of time where it even if maybe not in reality, but certainly in your mind, you know, the worst case scenario that you may not survive this. And you so you go through this very difficult process and you come out of it. And the likelihood is now that it's looking, it's trending pretty good for you. But you still went through this life-changing experience. How does that change you as a person? How did that change you as a wife and a mother and a sister and a friend and just all of that? If you could, I, I realize it's a very unfair and difficult question. But if you if you could answer that, how would you answer that?
1: Um, I would say that I have learned through this not to sweat the small stuff, um, and to to say enjoy all the aspects of life isn't isn't right, but to to appreciate everything. Um, I find that um, I look back and say, oh, I didn't really care about such and such and such, but I do care about things. I care about things much, I think, more deeply. I'm more conscious of what I feel about different activities and different things. I want to be able to do um more more i want to be around for a while so i'm going to continue to do little changes to improve my life um i know me and i'm not somebody who's going to make drastic changes but i'm going to take opportunities as they arise rather than say i don't think i can afford this i don't think i can do this i don't think i have time for this i'm going to take those opportunities when i have them
0: i want to uh I want to ask this, the, the um, in my life, I've run into uh, a number of women who um, don't necessarily take advantage of the healthcare that's available to them. Um, and you may know women like this as well that don't get mammograms or don't go to the doctor and, and uh, I don't know if it's some sort of denial that maybe if I don't go, I won't get bad news. Uh, I also know, uh, have known women that don't have access to that kind of care. Uh, you know, healthcare care is very expensive. Uh, there are people who don't have access to the certainly the same levels of care that you had. Um, and, uh, and so they don't necessarily have uh, the opportunity to, uh, to access health care very easily or readily. Uh what would you what would you say to somebody who uh, maybe is listening to this, is concerned about themselves and looking for a place to go to get some information? Did you through the, this process, find some resources online, maybe, uh, some some information available to people to just at least start to wrap their heads around this and understand what this process might be?
1: Um, yeah, I would say start with the Breast Cancer Site. That's exactly what it's called, the org. They've got a lot of information. They've got information on finding um, how to get funding, low-cost mammograms. Um, that would be a very good place to start. Um, and I would—I started advocating that day I had the surgery. I posted it on Facebook every day that month. Get your mammogram people. Get your mammogram people. Um, find a way to do it. You can get low cost. Go to these mobile clinics. Um, go to Planned Parenthood. Um, a lot of places will work with you on cost. I know it's scary. I know it's uncomfortable. Believe me, I know it's uncomfortable. But in the end, it's worth it.
0: Sharon, that's a great message anytime. It's certainly a great message here uh, as we record this in October, which is, of course, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I want to thank you so much for talking to us today. I think, I think that was an extremely brave thing to do, frankly. And uh, so thank you very much. And I'm sure that everything you have to say is going to be of interest to people who listen to this.
1: Well, I hope so. But get your mammograms, girls.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavior health related topics including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, On the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions or you can link to it from our corporate website www.adeincorp.com.